This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. So two weeks ago, we started a conversation about whether there should be limits on free speech. But because there was so much information to talk about and so little time to fully cover the issue, we decided to bring everyone back to finish the conversation, plus some new faces. So again, should there be limits on freedom? of speech. Let's get down to business. The business of being black today is should there be limits to freedom of speech? Please welcome from Howard University School of Education, Dr. Kiko D. Henderson. Welcome back, doctor. Thank you for having me, Tammy. The CEO and co-founder of the Jazz Leadership Project, Greg Thomas is here. Hi, Greg. Hello. Thank you. The Chief Political Officer for Democracy for America, Chris Scott. Hi, Chris. Good to be back, Tammy. Yes, indeed. And culture commentator and the host of the Joe Mobley Show, Joe Mobley. Hi, Joe. Hi, Tammy. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. You get the first question, Joe. It's on you. Which way are we going to rock this thing today? Why should Black people care about limits on freedom of speech? Oh, that's a softball, Tammy. That's an easy one. Like one of the biggest, the most prolific campaigns against free speech in American history and modern history was against Black Americans. I mean, they used to teach as a fact here in the United States, predating the Department of Education, that you and I and everyone on this call were a different sort of species, not not even the same species as a white person uh, or an Asian person. So where would we be if those ideas weren't open to be challenged? When, when people say that we're going to limit speech, I get a bad feeling. I get, you know, my spidey sense says, no, this is this is not a good idea. It's not a good idea. Chris, why should black people care about limits on freedom of speech? Well, Tammy, our voices have always uh, really helped propel this country uh, in a lot of the key issues that gave us progress in America. But also, our voices have oftentimes been exploited as we progress in this country. So that's why Black people should care about freedom of speech. Greg, why should Black people care? I'm Black. I'm a woman. Why, why should I care about anybody putting limits on my freedoms of speech? We should care because it's a fundamental right as Americans. We should care because for hundreds of years, we as a people did not have the right to free speech. And because from a jazz perspective, without the ability to speak freely, play freely, improvise freely, you're not going to have one of the greatest cultural creations in the 20th to 21st centuries, jazz. So definitely we need to value free speech. I love how you brought your musical uh, aspirations in into the conversation. I love it. Dr. Kiko. Yes, ma'am. Um, in addition to uh, what Brother Joe said uh, regarding the, the rights uh, established by the Constitution, um, that being the most uh, primary and essential, I think that uh, beyond that, we should also care about the checks and balances around freedom of speech, um, because the checks and balances is, are where um, a lot of our rights as minorities are being threatened uh, within those checks and balances. So I think that's why we as a community should care about freedom of speech. I want to stick with what you're saying here, Dr. Kiko. Um, is our freedom of speech under attack? Um, I think so. Um, and, and I think it's under attack, uh, essentially, uh, related to the uh, socioeconomic tax bracket that you're in. I think the tax, the, the checks and balances are different, um, as you enter, uh, different tax brackets, um, and you become, um, more or less of a marginalized uh, person. Although we are minorities, I think that the, the amount of money that we make gives us 
an illusion uh, that our speech is free. Um, oh, this is good. This hold on, doctor. Hold on. This is good. This is good because I'm gonna now, now I can go somewhere with this. You say it's about the tax bracket. You say the lower the tax bracket, the less freedoms you have on your speech. Absolutely. So I want to use a high tax bracket example here. Okay, let's use Kanye West and Jeff Bezos. Right? <laughs> I'm sorry, not Kanye West. Kyrie Irving and Jeff Bezos. Kyrie Irving who posted a link to a movie, right? And uh, really didn't say anything, just kind of posted a link to a movie, right? And he was canceled. Jeff Bezos and the CEO of Amazon decided that they would keep that movie on Amazon for sale in in perpetuity. And no one has stopped shopping for Christmas at Amazon. So is this what we're talking about? Is it because Jeff Bezos has more money is it, and in a higher tax bracket than Kyrie Irving that Kyrie faces more discipline than Jeff Bezos? It's an intersectionality. I think it's the socioeconomic tax bracket and also the color of one's skin. Uh, Jeff Bezos being a white man, um, the owner of Amazon, uh, the proprietor of Amazon, um, as we know it. Um, I think that he, in my mind and what I've experienced, I think that he has a little more freedom than a black man that who has been told in many instances just to shut up and dribble, um, just dribble the ball and just just stay, stay in your place. Um, so I think that understanding that intersectionality lends itself to a deeper discussion. Uh, the intersectionality. Sammy, I want to go in on that even more. We're talking about, you know, kind of societal ramifications when we're talking about Kyrie Irving and Jeff Bezos. They're not going to jail over what happened uh, regardless. Cancel culture is this more nuanced thing that we're seeing really in the digital space. If we're talking about really freedom of speech and where we get into lines, really, let's go back to January 6th. Let's look at the insurrection. Let's look at the speeches that were given that incited that entire situation. Yet, Nobody, uh, particularly our disgraced former president, went to jail over that. There's a difference between cancel culture and actually enforcing the sensible limitations. So you're that saying we the freedom, freedom. You're saying speech. that. So Chris, you're saying that the freedoms are equivalent to you can say whatever you want to say and not be punished by going to jail legally, but. Uh, the people, we the people, have moral liberties of not supporting your products anymore if we decide what you're saying is not along the lines of what we believe to be appropriate. That's exactly right. You can say what you want in many cases, but I do not have to agree with what you say, and I don't have to continue to support you after what you say. That proves that we have freedom of speech, but we do need sensible limitations, and we need to expand that to the digital space. All right, Greg, come on, jump in here. Well, I wonder how we're going to expand it to the digital space. I mean, I do agree that in the digital space is where cancel culture has been really uh, activated and is the enforcements of this censorious kind of culture that we're talking about is is there. I'm not quite sure how to to do it other than through more free, free speech. We have to be able to let people say what they want to say and not cancel them because we want to be able to respond to what they say and counter what they say. I think, I think, Dr. Kiko, go ahead. Thank you. I, I think that uh, just, just uh, kind of take it in a step further. We have to look at this as a, a as a equation of duality, if you will. Uh, we, as the marginalized, we we're talking from an oppressive standpoint. We're talking from a standpoint that we've had to fight for this freedom. Now, if you look at the majority, they've had this freedom for the longest since the inset of of history, since the inception of this country. And they have they've abused it. They've abused it through the lessons that were taught in the educational system. The what we learn in school, the what we see in the media, they have monopolized this freedom and we're viewing it from a marginalized standpoint as a black community, as a marginalized community, um, and we're fighting. We're not looking at it from the stance of the majority who continues to oppress those who have not always enjoyed this particular freedom of speech. Joe, Greg, I, I got to get you in. I got to get you in. Yeah, I got to say, uh, Dr. Keiko and Chris, where 
we're falling for a little bit of a fallacy in this. We're actually doing a false comparison. We're conflating things that aren't the same. And on the one hand, we're talking about race and the, the race of Jeff Bezos and Kyrie Irving are different. The value that they add to the world are different, but categorically, one is an athlete, which is tantamount to an entertainer. And I like basketball. Kyrie Irvin is a brilliant basketball player, but what he does is entertainment value. The other provides a product or service that the consumer is not willing to part ways with. So the disparity between their perceived freedom of speech and the power and authority that they can project into the world is different because of the spaces. I have almost a daily relationship with Amazon. I have things that I need and I feel like I need to get them from Amazon. There's virtually nothing that I need that I need to get from Kyrie Irvin or from the NBA or from any athlete for that matter. Uh, so we we can't conflate those issues. It, it's, it's not a race thing in this instance. The, their, the power of their speech is directly tied to the value and influence they put into the world. Joe, let me push back on let that Let me get Chris quick. in. Go ahead, Chris. When we're talking about not conflating and particularly athletes as entertainers, let's look at black athletes. We're talking about the Muhammad Ali's. We're talking about the freedom to protest at the limit Olympics with that iconic image. So we cannot just simply, you know, push aside that these entertainers in one sense also do not contribute a lot to our culture. Again, we're still talking about the nuance of cancel culture, which is more of a digital face thing. We're not getting to the root of the problem of when we talk about sensible limitations, not inciting violence. You know, Adolf Hitler had a lot of freedom of speech and look what that led the world into. Donald Trump, again, had freedom of speech. Look what that plunged our country into. That's I want to just build on what Chris is saying. And just to create a situation, of us, a parallel situation, if we look at Donald Trump and former President Barack Obama, and these are two essentially held the same office, had Barack Obama incited a riot in the way that Donald Trump did on January 6th, uh, Donald Trump, there were legal ramifications that he could have been held against or for in that particular situation. Had uh, former President Barack Obama incited the same situation, there would be no question about it. He would have been held accountable for the for the, the 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 riots that were caused and held January sixth, even while he was in office, he was he was. There were many different situations where he was called out. Can All that thought, I got a call out on a commercial break. We'll be right back. Greg, you wanted to tackle something Dr. Henderson said before the break. I sure do. I he, he used the term marginalized. I think the way we describe ourselves and think of ourselves is very very important. I understand that historically socially, politically, economically, one can argue that we've been marginalized. But can we one argue or is that the truth? It is the truth. But okay. are we marginalized in cultural terms? No. We are, we are, we are fundamental to the conception that Americans have of themselves stylistically in terms of freedom. How we are fundamental constituents. How acknowledged, though? How often is that actually acknowledged in, in the grand scheme of things? How often is that actually acknowledged? That's something that we know inherently, but do the masses acknowledge and agree with that? That that remains to be seen. But as long as we can acknowledge that, but we, if we no, still... I, I, I believe, yes. I, I live at the pinnacle of white America here in Loudoun County, and the, the typical 18 to 30-year-old affluent white female that I see at the supermarket uh, is is very appreciative of of how Black America contributes to society, <laughs> and they, they they stop me all the time like I'm a celebrity. Are they White women are stopping you like a celebrity because you black. I, 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 I'm just I'm, I mean, <laughs> understanding geographically what Loudoun County is. I'm, I, I am willing to step out on a limb and say Loudoun County was a county that engaged the argument of critical race theory and ultimately removed critical race theory from the textbooks of in classrooms of students. So with that in mind, how much do they really appreciate it? Now, taking that and, and pointing it. That, that's factually way, inaccurate. That's not true. We're still fighting that battle every day. I thought I was fighting that battle just last night. I mean, we've had some some movement in the courts recently, uh, but that's factually inaccurate. We, we still have 
we we still have a lot of that. So I was just on a call last week. It was Fairfax County, but they they had brought Ibram X Kendi in uh, again as a high dollar consultant. So it's just that that's just false it's on the face. No, no. But Joe, Joe, you just made a really great point. I think for me and Dr. Henderson, especially when we're talking about Virginia critical race theory and that being a way to really limit speech, education, everything with that. We are seeing a vicious attack, particularly from the uh, right side of politics, the GOP. Uh, whether or not you're looking at Virginia and the South with critical race theory, whether or not you're looking at Florida with the don't say uh, gay bill that they passed. And we know that when we talk about don't say gay, uh, beyond just even the gay community, who are even more persecuted uh, by that? It's the black community, especially I, uh, when you're talking about black uh, can, trans can we, can in we particular. Keep so, things, can we keep things framed around fact? There's no such thing as a don't so gay, that, bill, that, gay bill. That, There's no bill. That, that, yes, there is. Gay. There is. So, so are you not familiar with what Governor Ron DeSantis I'm familiar, signed into I'm law? I'm familiar with the rhetoric. I've also read no, the no, bill. No, no, it's no. A, it's a actual factual bill that passed. It's another bill that I, is being emulated uh, in places like Ohio and Texas as well. Chris, that's Chris, not hold, hold imaginary. Up, that's a fact. I believe that Joe um, knows about the bill. I believe what Joe has a problem with is how you're naming the bill. The bill is not named the don't say gay bill. Is that what you're saying, Joe? It also doesn't state anything against against the free speech of saying gay, homosexual, any of the LGBTQ plus uh, community aspects. There's nothing like that. And wow. it's inherently it's inherently a, a censorship based argument is, is what you're raising. You're you're raising if there were such a bill, it would be a censorship bill on the basis of, of licentious or uh, potentially offensive behavior that someone somewhere oh, deems, not so, me. So, so that, limits, that limits freedom of speech, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so if, if there were such a bill, and Chris is advocating against a speech-limiting bill. So let me ask you this, Joe. So could we agree that there has been sanctions and censorship on critical race theory being taught in classrooms across in various states in the United States? Can we agree to that? Yeah. So is that not a sanction or attempt to continue to further oppress minorities and their speech and their history? No, not at all. It's not. So tell me why not. Not and at all, because it, it's it has nothing to do with the race of the child. It has to do with it has protecting to do with the, it has to do with the race, of, the history of a race. Like it has to do with the history of a black of the black race. No, not at all. We're we're oh, we're definitely. we're mixing issues of slavery with with uh, sexual ideological behavior. No, we I, teach I, we teach our kids plenty about slavery. We teach them little about uh, alternative sexual behaviors. I'm I'm specifically referencing the critical race theory ban. Like that has that has swept the country, many different states, many different counties, and in some in some places it has. It has been, definitely become a platform for the right, but been, not but not on the basis of the First Amendment. It's a civil rights violation. Critical race theory saying that you can identify things about someone because of immutable characteristics like their race, uh, their gender their country of origin is a civil rights violation it's flagrantly it illegal falls into freedom it also fall into a speech thing as well i would say a speech uh, let me let me just jump in here i want to connect freedom of speech and i'm going to take it back to the marginalized piece because how we consider ourselves will impact on the freedom we feel to speak about whatever if we still conceive of ourselves as marginalized even as oppressed, we have been oppressed. But if we keep speaking in that kind of language, we will limit ourselves. We will censor ourselves <clears throat> and not feel that we have the freedom to fully express ourselves. And we do. We have to acknowledge the advancements we actually have made and the powerful. Greg, I want to say this, Greg. I believe um, not has there been such an appreciation and love of oneself as a black person today than in the 1960s with the say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud, uh, uh, you know, fight. Uh, I think black people do realize it today, but I want to share a, a brief story with you. I, one of my, well, my best friend uh, is a white woman and we were going on a walk one day and she said, well, can't you guys just know for yourself 
that you are not those things. And oh. it's, <laughs> and I mean, I mean that's essentially what Greg is saying, right? Can't we just know for ourselves? And my well, thing is, we well, can't just know for ourselves, right? Like, we can't just be like, oh, we're strong, we're black, we're prideful, we're, you know, we're creative, we're this great black race. And nobody else believes it because we have to live in this world with everyone. So how does that work when we believe it, but nobody else sees us that way? And so we still get stopped by the cops or we still get uh, captured, you know, followed in stores. So is it really about how we believe in ourselves? It's not just how we believe in ourselves. Just one second, Dr. Tan. It's not just how we believe in ourselves. It's how we speak about ourselves. And we know that as a small percentage of the population, we're going to have to work with other people politically and otherwise to be able to achieve what we want to achieve in a pluralistic society. We know that. So it's not just about self-belief, but that's a foundation of our being able to be self-deterministic about how we see and speak about ourselves. And I know, Dr. Henderson, that you know what I'm saying. I, yeah, to an, to an extent. However, I don't agree. Like, I think that we, we've we always tried to work with other people. Um, I, my mind goes back to a situation that happened recently in Texas where a teacher was fired. He was caught on video telling his students that the white race is superior to other races. That in of itself demonstrates the need for, uh, for limits on freedom of speech. He told this to a group of Black kids. Now, imagine the trauma that that caused kids, a grown white man, 40 plus years old, expressing this sentiment to a group of, of black kids. Now, granted, they could have been taught at home that you're black, your black is beautiful, all of that. But going into a classroom where not only is this man, his race is the majority of the world. And granted, this is probably not the only white person that feels and thinks like this and shares these sentiments. This is why it's important to have limits on freedom of speech, like pure, pure and simple. I don't know exactly how you like what the scope of limiting the freedoms of speech would be. But when we come back, I want to talk about Elon Musk because he decided to reinstate the accounts of Donald Trump and many others who had been banned from the platform for hate speech. And Musk says he's doing this uh, uh, to pr uh, he he is doing so to protect free speech. I want to know your thoughts about that free speech on the Internet. Wow. OK, that's hey, that's where it all began. We'll talk about it when we return on Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. Please welcome from Howard University School of Education, Dr. Kiko D. Henderson, the CEO and co-founder of the Jazz Leadership Project, Greg Thomas, the Chief Political Officer for Democracy for America, Chris Scott, and culture commentator and the host of the Joe Mobley Show, Joe Mobley. So let's talk about Elon Musk. He reinstated Donald Trump. I believe he reinstated Kanye and then took Kanye off. I think Kanye's off now. So I, I don't even know if Elon Musk um, <laughs> really knows how far protections of freedom of speech should go. And uh, so that that's kind of my question, you know, um, the, the fact that who dictates where the freedoms stop and where they begin? Who dictates that? And, and is Elon Musk... Uh, right for bringing Donald Trump and the likes of others back onto the social platform, Chris? Well, well, the U.S. Constitution limits, you know, who, what limitations we actually have. The problem is that we have not updated or made any amendments to the Constitution's limitations to factor in the evolution into the digital age. And that's where uh, we run into that problem. It's the reason why you saw a bipartisan effort between uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator uh, Lindsey Graham, who couldn't be any far different, saying, yes, we need to look at the digital space and maybe even treat it as a public utility because things can and they have gotten out of hand in the digital space now. Yeah. Joe? I think we lost you, Joe. Oh, I don't think we can hear you. Uh, Dr. Kiko? 
Yes, um, I think for me, um, and I think I made this point on the last broadcast, um, is that we have to look at where the, where the freedoms originated. Um, we have founding fathers of this country, founding fathers who can, can who did not consider black people to be full persons, to be less in mental faculties. Um, so the this equation was never intended us for it was never intended for us to have an equal or a, a viable stake in this fight. So here we are, what three four hundred years later, black people, we've gotten ourselves together. We're able to. Make make valid, viable claims regarding our rights in the Constitution, and this was never ex expected. So what is, I think what is being done now is essentially, um, I think that Black people are use, being used as a pawn in the grand scheme of things to, uh, to, 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 to convey ideas and concepts that do not necessarily benefit the larger Black community, i.e. Kanye West, um, him being used as a pawn by both Donald Trump and in some instances, Elon Musk. When they're saying things that 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 directly benefit the majority is okay, but when they start th saying things that oppose, uh, for instance, the anti-Semitic comments, although they were racist in nature, um, that's when it became a problem. As long as Kanye was saying that that, that slavery was a choice, that was a problem. He's recently said that Rosa Parks was a plant. Um, the, so he's essentially trying to eradicate all of Black history, and with that, we're not seeing any 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 white majority or white leaders speak out in support of that. And that's problematic for me. Right. Look, look, we know that within a group, people can say things within the group that folks outside the group can't say. So that's true for Black folks speaking about Black folks. That's true for Jewish folks speaking about Jewish folks. So we know that. So Kanye is going to be able to have further birth to say certain things about us than he is going to be about other groups. So that's that's one distinction that we just have to acknowledge is, is, is true. The digital space is so complex. It's, it's, it's such a difficult thing. I, I just have to lean on allowing more free speech. I do not like to have a private individual able to control the, 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 the free speech of so many people through a, a, a place like Twitter. Look, I... Donald Trump, I call him the orange-haired menace to society. So I have no truck for, for Donald Trump. However, when he was taken off the platform, I had to weigh things and say, wow, the power to take someone like that off it's too much power in in private hands, I what think. Happened? What about but what is it only, Isn't it only power because we give it power? What? I guess yes. I, yes. I, I completely agree. And I want to further that thought, but what happens when that freedom of speech is being weaponized to actually mm -hmm. harm someone? Like, is it not, is that not calling to a need to reconsider what, what we're, what we're allowing, what we're allowing into our ears? And I completely agree. There's literally a time and place for everything. I, I, there is a time and place for everything. I'm not going to call my mom and tell her what I did on a Friday night or what have you, because that's my mom. Now my best friend. Yes. That's because that's a time and a place for everything and vice versa. And what you share in the confines of your own home and your text thread, that is between you and your counterparts. However, when it makes its way to a public platform, I think that there needs to be a form of checks and balances. And that's I want to talk about, uh, hold that thought, Chris. I want to talk about uh, this Rosa Parks real quick because um, freedom of speech sounds like language too. So yes. Kanye West called Rosa Parks a plant, right, Dr. Kiko? Yes, ma'am, that is correct. It was a strategy. It was a strategy. Yes, absolutely. So I, Kanye West is not technically wrong because the NAACP have been trying to uh, do this bus boycott for quite some time, even before Rosa Parks, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was a plan. And because we don't like the language, it was also a plant. Yes. I agree. And I think that the problem with that is it in the int intent was to undermine a movement and the purpose of that movement. Granted, that is very true. Um, she was it was done as an intentional boycott uh, to, to begin the, 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 the bus boycotts or what have you. However, his intent has always been to to misalign the history of the history, the accomplishments of the of 
the black of our black leaders of our so black then the freedom of speech here doesn't even lie within the speech itself but within the intention based on what you're saying absolutely and absolutely and i think i've held held firm to this particular stance it is all about the intent as i previously stated uh, we, we can't have laws based on the intent yeah uh, how do you detect a person's intention but we have how can we not have the laws based, based on based on our on, on the constitutional rights that we have been assigned just like we have responsibility around the freedom to bear arms we have responsible the same responsibilities around freedom of speech it's all about intent now if i buy a gun with the intent to shoot somebody i'm going to jail for that intent i intend to shoot it to harm someone and it should be the same with the freedom with freedom of speech if i oh joe he makes is, a good point joe he makes no, a good point there no he, he really doesn't i'm making the very intent to harm someone there should be consequences for that intent Period. Ahead, no, joe. This, this is a very weak argument i've listened to you speak a lot and you're you're capable of a lot stronger if, if something is true then the inverse of that is not true the, the simplest thread to pull on would be committing crimes by mistake when you had no intention. Uh, so, yeah, if I discharge a firearm in this office and accidentally killed someone, I'm still... I'm still it's Hold that thought, Dr. Kiko. Let, let him get his thought out. I, I'm still held responsible for that. So it, it's not the intent. It's the facts of the case. And I understand that we have the spirit and the letter of laws. One is much more considered in civil litigation and in criminal law the facts are what's matter, what happened, not why it happened. That's how CRT, uh, that's how critical race theory came into American thought is through the criminal justice system. It's not about why something happened. It's about what happened. Did they steal it or did they not? Did they commit the assault or did they not? Not the intention uh, behind so, the Joe, Joe, what do you think, Joe, ahead, what do you Chris. think is the intent and the rise that we've literally seen since Elon Musk took over Twitter and hate speech and racial slurs against black people and racial slurs against Jewish people that you think I that there needs to be no limitations on that. No, here's the fact. When we're talking about particularly a lot of the even policing that the FBI has to do on domestic terrorism groups, most of those are forming in online forums and then expanding into the actual plane of the regular world uh, on the surface. So what do you think is that intent? When you allow this Chris, to run rampant Chris, I'm, and I'm unchecked... A homeland, I'm it, a homeland it, security professional. You, you got to lay, nice. off, the that's, you gotta that's, lay that's, off the CBS that, shows. What, what no, you're saying no, is it, a it's not a CBS it's show. Not, but it's not, what it's we're not, not going to do... It's not manifesting That's cute in reality. that you're a homeland security professional, and I've also worked in democratic politics and regular politics for 10 Good. years. Hold that thought. I got to work in a commercial. Joe, what are you... You say that you're a homeland security um, a specialist. What is it that Chris is saying that you disagree with? Well, when, when we look at criminality and when we look at actual terrorism, actual acts of violence of the racial means... There's not been a noteworthy or you're hard pressed to find this group of, of terrorists, this, this group of white nationalists that are out to get uh, black Americans. Many of the ones in the media turn out to be hoaxes. Uh, and so it's just not something that's manifesting in reality. Every time when I, I like CBS shows, when I watch Law and Order, when I watch uh, Chicago PD, any of those shows, it's all racially motivated crime. And the sad fact is in the United States, racially motivated crime is usually perpetrated against Asians by black Americans. I would rather deal in those realities and hard facts, which are publicly available on the FBI's website, Uniform Crime Report, instead of dealing in in these ideas about but there is an FBI. There is an FBI report that suggests that white supremacy is amongst the highest of, uh, of of threats to America. Yeah, there there is, and if you get into that report, it's not data driven. They they have things like the Betsy Ross flag indicated as terror symbols, which is on the show right now. It's it's behind me in the boat. So the FBI could say that all of us are white nationalists now, fascist, national socialists, whatever they'd like to call us. It's just not factually true. 
So, I want, Joe, Chris to, I'll, I'll, I want I want Chris to retort because he, Chris, he said you watch too many Law and Orders and Ice Tea. Exactly, <laughs> um, it's real interesting what you. I, I apologize for that uh, to come out, but but we're all adults here. I can take a jab, um, even if it's uh, unfactual. And here's the thing: you have a lot of fallacies in your argument when you're particularly talking about online spaces not being radicalized and they're not being recent examples. Look, let's look at the recent Buffalo, New York shooting that happened in 2021 and the report that was released by the attorney general of New York that that shooting was radicalized by online meeting space. That is a clear indication, which you said nothing exists of the sort in recent years. And that was one of the biggest news lines uh, that shook our country recently, where you had white extremists target a supermarket, shoot up Black people. And the space that was used to radicalize these white nationalists and extremists was the online digital space. And that is why you're seeing government look more into what are we doing to actual actually have sensible limitations online because we are seeing it radicalized domestically the same way that we uh, complain about it happen uh, internationally when the U.S. has been under international terrorist attacks. So where's, where's the fallacy in there? You, you said that there were no incidents recently mm -hmm. at all that pointed to anything happened online that was targeted towards race. And Greg, I want to get you in here, Greg. I want to get you in. You didn't say that? I, I did. That, that's called a false statement. That's not a fallacy. I want to get you in, Greg. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, two things. One, what is the group that has most actual violence against them and against their property? Jewish Americans. Two and a half, three percent of the population, and the, and they have more than any other group. So let's just state that as a fact. Hold on, you said they're two and a half to three percent of the the total population. Uh, aren't they? Aren't aren't Jewish Americans two I'm and a half? To confirm. I just want to confirm it. I think so. I, I, as as so far with, as I know, before you go, just with that statistic, with them being such a subset of the population, of course. With them being such a small set of the population, one to two incidents would definitely make them higher on the list because they're they're less Jewish people or the population is smaller. It's a smaller subset versus where African-Americans are a larger subset of the population that have just as many crimes against us committed. We won't rank as high just because there are more African-Americans. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? I think I do. It's the math. I, yeah, 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 you I think just you have to use a per yeah. capita figure. I want, I want to move to, because today is the 10th anniversary of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in Newton, Connecticut, where Adam Lanza murdered 20 children and six adults before taking his own life. Alex Jones spread the baseless lie that the Sandy Hook massacre was a hoax, and the victims of that massacre were crisis actors. Those lies led to the families of the victims being harassed and threatened. Alex Jones was eventually ordered to pay $1.4 billion in damages in a lawsuit filed by the victims' families. Was that a fair judgment against Alex Jones? Also, three years after the Sandy Hook massacre, the family of the first grade teacher who was killed at Sandy Hook, Vicki Soto, was confronted by one of Alex Jones's followers, Matthew Mills, at a 5K run they hosted in her honor, Mills waved a photo of the family and claimed this never happened. Mills was arrested and charged with breach of peace. I did not even know there was a such law called breach of peace. Um, so should he have been arrested in that case? So we've got two instances here to talk about. Uh, go ahead, Dr. Kiko. Once again, it's intent. Um, we, I think we can all agree that there was malintent behind both of those incidents, pure and simple. Um, and if the intent is not checked, and I mean, I don't think that there's any way, at least that doesn't that comes to my mind initially, there's no way that we can po police one another's intent. That is something that we have to do internally. And unfortunately, 
everyone doesn't have the faculty, the mental faculties to appropriately, appropriate, appropriately assess their own intent. So then I feel as though we end back up at square one. Now, I don't have the answer to that, um, but I do believe that therein lies the beginning to the that therein lies a a beginning to the solution that we need. Um, being Chris, do you believe the punishment was fair? The being arrested for waving the photograph. And also, um, Alex Jones's one point, I mean, billion dollars? Absolutely. I mean, when we're looking at uh, inciting violence, I think um, there is an unprecedented threshold that somebody can be punished by. Inciting violence has been one of the biggest problems in human history just all time again whether or not you look at germany whether or not you look at here um there has to be stiff consequences to that so that people do not continue to do that yeah joe you know dave chappelle said it best if someone can say something that throws off all of your dreams all of your hopes all of your aspirations he said, I dare say you didn't have a dream at all. Uh, and then he said some other language that ended with uh, Americans now have a brittle spirit. Uh, so, no, I don't think we should be policing intent. I think we should be policing actions. I think when we but look at Germany and other case, nations. Uh, think, when you speak to this specific case, though, Joe, do you believe the punishment fit the crime for Alex Jones? Uh, uh, no, the lies no. About in no, insofar as, as libel goes, it's tough to connect Alex Jones to the actions of the psychos. The people accosting people and committing those physical crimes, they're psychos. Uh, I, I might have a fan who's a psycho, and it's, it's, it's tough to connect something that I say outside of an explicit but he, call But he violence. lied about the Sandy Hook being a hoax. I, I understand that. that. And that was incredibly stupid and insensitive. And, and psychotic. You know, it, but and, you don't believe but, that he should have been punished still, for still, he didn't incite anyone to violence. Well, he it's, did. So, he so did. what do you think it's called when you know the power that you have and you put out a deliberate lie that leads to harassment and sometimes even there's, violence there's of, that leads to death. A lot what do you think it's called? There's a lot of assumptions here. It's a snuck premise, and we're affirming the consequent here, where we're saying we know that he did this for this reason that we know to be true as a Gnostic, yeah, just on the basis of currently on air right now, and he's still spewing the same hate. Like, he had a podcast, like Kanye was on his podcast, like, a few weeks ago, and he gave Kanye... Free, free reign to say whatever he wanted to say. So it, 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 it doesn't, it's a little lost on me that you don't see the connection between his influence and the acts of the person that, 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 that harassed the people at the 5k. Like it's, it's, it, it, yeah, it's beyond me that you don't see that. Beyond me that we have to go to a commercial break. Let's go. Should there be limits on freedom of speech? Greg, get in here. I know you were anxious to get in before the break, so I'm giving you first dibs. I appreciate it. Um, I think that policing intent is a slippery slope because it is internal. It's really difficult to be able to literally police that. Now, if we talk about actions, behavior, results. Those are different things. So as far as Alex Jones, what he did was reprehensible. He exercised his free speech, but there were consequences to his free speech. And he defamed and scandalized people who were actual victims. So in that case, I think he got what he deserved. I think that we also have to take, and uh, intent is literally the difference between murder and manslaughter. Like that is literally the difference between murder and manslaughter. So if, and, I mean, it's police in the court of law. So if it comes down to this, that we have to reprimand people to the court of law to determine their intent, whether or not it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was uh, malicious or, or not. I think that that's what we need to do because there has to be checks and balances on one's intent and the freedom of speech. Chris? And I'll, I will say, I agree with Greg, it is a slippery slope when we talk about policing intent. But again, when we're talking about the digital space, so many of the most heinous acts that have happened in this country recently have started with the intent in the digital space. 
we clearly see nobody is always going to jail over some of the actions uh, that are horrendous, but there has to be some type of consequence when there is a clear intent uh, to cause uh, harm or incite violence. Let's take a look at online bullying. Like, that's why there are so many campaigns to eliminate and eradicate online bullying. Why? Because the intent leads to suicide. It leads to, to students killing themselves. It leads to adults killing themselves. It leads to, to, to bad mental health. So, once again, the checks and balances are needed, in my opinion. Well, I want to do some checks and balances here, and I want to go into what I like to call a lightning round. <laughs> I forgot my hands had to make it go. I forgot about that. I forgot I had that black girl magic. Um, <laughs> and it is simply, I want to know, should there be limits on freedom of speech? Yes or no? Why or why not? Joe, let's start with you. I'm going to say no. All of the bad guys in history limited speech. So I'll, I'll have to decline on that. <laughs> well, it's funny, all of the bad guys in history limited free speech, but not for themselves. Yep. Yeah. Chris, should there be limits on free speech? Yes, we have to have sensible limitations. Okay. Dr. Keiko. Yes, um, I think so. Um, it protects us and it protects the integrity, what's left of it, of this country. Uh, Greg, you said it's a slippery slope. Uh, I'm feeling this. I'm I'm feeling like I'm sliding around on this panel today. Uh, I mean, you know, it seems like our privileges are being more and more reeled in. What's your thoughts? Limit freedom of speech, yay or nay? We want rational free speech. We want sensible free speech. You're not always going to have that. But on balance... We need to support free speech and be open to more speech rather than less. So this no. has always been an issue. And so I want to bring it back to the age old question when it comes to freedom of speech. And that word is the age old word. And that word is fire. So I want to ask each of you, should a person be able to yell fire in a crowded room when there is no fire? Joe. So I'll steal from Greg's wisdom here. Uh, yes, they should be able to say that, but they do have to deal with the consequences of those actions, which are probably going to be personal injury. Uh, could even be death if someone gets trampled. Chris? Yeah, I'm going to say no, because I don't want to deal with the consequences of somebody getting trampled because somebody yelled a false fire. Greg? That's the classic example. You're right. And I know I'm supposed to be on the side of just free speech, <clears throat> but I think we have to be nuanced and I think we have to be, you know, sensible. So I'm going to have to say on this one, I have to agree with Chris. You should not be able to yell fire and, and, and lead to people being trampled. Sorry, Joe. Dr. Keiko. Yes, um, I, I don't think that they should be able to yell fire. Um, however, if they do take that upon themselves to do as such, there should be consequences and repercussions in place um, for the casualties that may happen from that incident. What what is, what are the repercussions? Like, what should happen? Is there a law that's in place that would say what should happen to a person who yells fire? Well, I, I think it's more on... If I recall correctly, I think we can all recall there was a penalty, like if you pulled the fire alarm and there was no actual fire, it could lead to fines or, you know, minimal jail time. And so I do think it's nuanced, but I think it also looks at what happens afterwards. Does somebody get hurt by you yelling fire uh, and the actions that happen afterwards? Chris, what kind of work do you do uh, with Democracy for America? So with Democracy for America, for the last 18 years, we've helped elect over 1,100 progressive candidates, helped give in over $7 million, $70 million of investment. And so we're always helping uh, elect the next generation of leaders in this country. Thank you so much. Uh, Joe, talk to me, talk to me, Joe, about uh, the topics that you cover on the Joe Mobley Show. Well, aside from your show, it's the very best show on the web, on the radio, on podcasts for culture. Thank you for that acknowledgement, sir. <laughs> Thank you for that acknowledgement, sir. <laughs> so where can we catch it? Let everybody know. 
Uh, best place to get it is the podcast. It's Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music. Type in The Joe Mobley Show, and you can also go to the website, thejoemobleyshow.com. Dr. Keiko, I love your organization, uh, your nonprofit. Talk about it, please. Yes, uh, Keek Loves the Kids is a uh, wraparound servicing organization focused on providing wraparound services to students in grades K through 12 and the D.C. metro area. We provide services in the form of clothing, school supplies, technology, and scholarships. Um, if you're interested in learning more, follow us at Keek Loves the Kids on Instagram. Keek Love Kids! Keek Love Kids! Greg, please talk about the work that you do. Jazz Leadership Project is an enterprise I run uh, with my co-founder and wife, Jewel Kinch Thomas, and we provide leadership and team development for organizations and for teams to help them do what they do better. And we also are involved in social entrepreneurship through a project that I'm co-director of called the Omni American Future Project, which is a collaboration between Jazz Leadership Project and two Jewish organizations, the Combat Anti-Semitism Movement and the American Sephardi Federation. And what we're doing is trying to fight against anti-Semitism and racism by amplifying an Omni-American American identity that is grounded in the work of my mentor, Albert Murray, the author of great books on blues and jazz. Thank you so much for that. Listen, since we're talking about freedom of speech, I want you to use your speech right now. Dig deep into your vocabulary. If there are two words that will keep America united, I want to know what those two words are. Two words that will keep America united. Yeah, let's make our speech about uniting this country. Joe, what two words do you have? Uh, humble and human. Humble and human, okay. Chris, what do you got? Empathy and respect. Greg, you wanna give me two words? Pluralism and conversation. You said pluralism? Pluralism and conversation, yes, where we can have many voices, we can disagree. Got it, no, no, I got it, I got it. Dr. Keiko, two words. Compassion and unity. Bye, y'all. New on Curiosity Stream. Get ready for the best of the best with our 100 Days of Curiosity, featuring fan favorite titles like Light on Earth with Sir David Attenborough. Join me on a journey like no other. Stephen Hawking's favorite places. It's a crazy world out there. The history of home with Nick Offerman. Not my home, just homes. Other people's homes. And many more. It's 100 Days of Curiosity. And for a limited time, get 40% off our annual plan. That's just a dollar a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more.